Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to another week of our podcast. This was the worship from Sunday, August 13th, and we're talking about the second half of John chapter 8 from verse 31 through the end, uh, which is verse uh, 59, rather. And the way that the message starts uh, is it kind of picks up. I'm explaining what happens right after the scripture reading. And so you might want to take a minute and and take a look at the uh, scripture, which was verses 31 through verses 41. And it kind of ends with Jesus having this dialogue between the uh, Jerusalemite elite, you know, the religious authorities in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's having this back and forth with them about um, who, you know, he comes from his father, He's saying that, like, you come from a different father. And they said, well, we're children of Abraham. He said, no, you're not. And, and so that's kind of the context into which we flow in the message. And I talk a little bit about because there's a pretty big, there's a, there's a big bomb at the, the last half of John chapter 8, which I don't really have time to get into, which maybe at some other, some other time we will. But, you know, they're making claims against Jesus that he's a child of the, you know, he's a demon. And then, you know, Jesus gives it right back to him and says, well, you're children of Satan. And, you know, there's a lot in there that really needs to be explored that we just didn't have time to. I spend most of the time this week talking about the, uh, the way that Jesus is engaging them around truth. And he has that big famous line, if you continue my word, you'll truly be my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's really where I spend most of the time. But I just wanted to give you a kind of a running start into it so that you knew what we were talking about, um, and so you weren't just kind of left hanging there. Okay, so now we'll get into the message, and I hope you enjoy it. So um, the way that that scripture ends is talking about uh, Jesus is talking with these Jerusalemites about who their father is. We didn't hear this part of the scripture read, but there's this pretty dramatic scene where he says, your, your father is Satan. Your father is the devil. And I wanted to get to that today because there's a lot of really ugly Christian history that rides on that line, right? There's a lot of anti-Semitism that comes out of that, that we need to be honest about, and we need to make some uh, changes in terms of how we understand that. And uh, unfortunately, because this piece of John chapter 8 has so much in it, I didn't quite get the chance to. So I just need to acknowledge that, um, that the church, the Christian church, has a lot of reparations to make in terms of our relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters. And just to kind of give you just a really quick insight there, I think what Jesus is doing when he's talking to these Jerusalemites, the, the religious leaders, who remember... They think they're the cat's meow. They think they're the bee's knees of Jews, right? They, you know, Jesus was from Galilee. 
he wasn't a real Jew like they were. And so they were pretty high on themselves. They're, yeah. And, uh, and he's telling them, you call yourself a, ch- a child of Abraham. And yet here you are trying to kill me. That tells me that you are not a true child of my father. You have somebody else who you're following. And so when he's saying that, he's not saying all Jews everywhere are therefore uh, you know, children of the devil. He's saying these particular ones who are seeking his life. Okay, so I just got to put that out there because uh, we're not going to have time to really get into it. Okay. Bless you. Yeah. So this is like one of the, John, it, it's like when you go and see a Shakespeare play, like you go and see Hamlet and you walk out and you're like, wow, that was just like one famous quote after another, right? So John's gospel can sometimes be like that. There are these beautiful lines that are lifted up and we know them so well. And we have one of those today. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so that's really what I want to talk about and it's what I want to focus on. And I think this is kind of important for us. I feel like one of my jobs as the pastor is to help us um, kind of cleanse the lenses that we view the world through. Because we all have a lens. And we have, we have, you know, just like your glasses, you need to clean them from time to time because stuff just gets on them. We all have stuff that fogs our lenses. We're Americans in the 21st century, and we can't help that. Right? That is one of the primary lenses that we view the world through. And as Americans, our national heritage gives us a very intimate relationship with a struggle for freedom. Okay, I grew up in Connecticut, one of the original 13 colonies. As a matter of fact, we are the Constitution State. Yes, thank you. And I was, uh, I was visiting, some of you remember, I was visiting Connecticut and my family uh, earlier in June. And the, the town of Litchfield that my cousin lives, lives in was incorporated in 1719. That is 55 years before the Declaration of Independence was penned. Okay, so this part of the country goes pretty far back. And so growing up where I did, it was a really early, like one of those things where they just like hammered home to you in your like elementary school social studies class about the Revolutionary War and about the colonial times. Okay, it's almost like um, this struggle for independence. I mean, we read Johnny Tremaine, and we, we read the ride of Paul Revere. We talked about the Boston Tea Party. We went up to Boston on a field trip and did the Freedom Trail and all that. Uh, the shot heard round the world. It was kind of like my indoctrination into the American Revolution is what I imagine the kids from the South have about that war of northern aggression, how they're indoctrinated in that way. And the thing is, as beautiful as the Founding Fathers' vision of freedom was, I think it's actually really only a partial vision. It is a limited vision. I would say it's even a shadow of the real vision of freedom, right? Their rallying cry, which you can still find on license plates in Washington, D.C., was taxation without representation, which makes me laugh because that's still on the license plates, right? Because they don't have a senator or a representative. Um, that rallying cry is really a political and economic one, right? Taxation without representation. That rallying cry is not at the level of our being. It's not ontological. There is no change at our core because of that freedom that was won from Great Britain. And because 
of our national heritage, sadly, it's hard for us not to think of freedom through the lens of the political and the economic, right? It is just like, it's the first and foremost thing that we think about. And it's one of the main ways that our culture understands, and I would say swings and misses, when we talk about freedom. And it's not our fault. This was the trajectory that we were set on, but it has colored, it has shaded our lenses that we view the world through. And in our scripture today, Jesus talks about freedom. Now, he he doesn't give us an atonement theory. He doesn't talk about what happens when he's on the cross. He doesn't explain how his death actually brings the forgiveness of sins and our freedom. If you want that, you got to read the gospel as a whole. And that's always good advice. Read the whole thing. Don't just take out the little quotes. What Jesus does is he distinguishes between the son and the slave. The son is part of the family. Receives the inheritance. The slave is not. Slave to sin, of course. And he then distinguishes between the slave and the ex-slave. The ex-slave is the one whom the son has set free. Set free from bondage. Set free from slavery. Because a slave has no assurance of the future. Only somebody in the family has the inheritance coming to them. But as God's only son, Jesus is in a position to set people free. And to welcome them into God's family. And this theme, by the way, of being set free from slavery and liberation into a new life. That's like pretty much the biblical narrative in a whole. Like if you were to put the Bible in a nutshell, it's like God wants us to be free, to be liberated, so that we can be part of his family. And the Jerusalem elite, they just could not wrap their head around what Jesus was telling them. Because they couldn't see that he was trying to set them free from a slavery that they didn't even know that they were in. By the way, that's kind of the world that we live in. Right. As Christians, we're saying we have been set free from slavery. And there are other people around going like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not in slavery. It's because we're not understanding. We're not speaking the same language. Right. When we say we're in bondage, it's that part in here at the ontological level, at the level of our being. That we have been enslaved. The founder of the Reformation, Martin Luther In the 16th century, he wrote a a little treatise called The Freedom of a Christian. This was one of of his primary works really, really early on. And he conceived of freedom as both liberating individual Christians and at the same time restricting individual Christians due to our necessity of self-discipline and an obligation to serve our brother and sister. So Luther wrote in this Freedom of a Christian, he actually started it off this way, with this paradoxical statement. So I'm going to read them to you. It's a little couplet. A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. Period. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant to all, subject to all. Period. Did you hear that? Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none, and a perfect perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Now, this is a little insight. This is part of my hermeneutical lens. It is really hard to be a follower of Jesus without being comfortable with some level of paradox. Two things which seem contradictory 
which you hold together in tension, both of them being true. And I think that's what Luther was pointing to here. There is a paradoxical understanding of what freedom looks like. You are free from the other things so you can serve. We're almost free to be a servant and to do it joyfully. And so by faith, Jesus sets us completely free, utterly, Lord of all subject to none. But love binds us in duty and service to our brothers and sisters subject to everybody. That's the paradox of Christian freedom, faith and love. As utterly free as Christ was, he came in love to serve, to win our salvation. And so we are bound in love to serve as well. You want to talk about a high calling? You young folks here, you want something hard to shoot for in your life? You want a challenge? There's one. Giving your life away for the good of the world. I, I would submit that if you look at our world out there, you watch cable news, and then you stop, stop crying for a little bit, um, get over the depression, I think you would find that 98% of all of those issues and the problems and the divisions and the polarities and the dichotomies that we see out there that separate and divide us, 98% of those could be avoided if we took Luther's view of freedom. I think that's something that we as Christians have to offer this world. Freedom is more than just the political and the economic. And that is a tangible difference that the church can make. We can be salt and light in the world there. And so Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set me free. He actually says, if you hold on to my teaching and you be my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set me free. Right? He says the way to this freedom is through knowing the truth. And here he equates the truth with his teaching, the things that I'm telling you, the way that I'm teaching you to live your life. Remember in the prologue, uh, that beautiful first chapter of John's gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, there's a section that says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. A little later in John 18, Jesus will say, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then uh, John will lift up the words of Jesus when he says, I am the truth. And this is why when it comes down to it, we don't follow, we don't give our allegiance to, we don't worship a doctrine, some principles. We follow, we give our allegiance, and we worship a person. And that person's name is Jesus. We worship Jesus because he and his life are truth. You want to know what truth is? Look at him. You want to know who God is? Look at him. You want to know what it looks like to be a real, full, true human being? Look at him. You want to know what it looks like to live a full, complete, fulfilled, authentic human life? Look at him. And that's why we keep looking at him. That's why we keep reading his words. That's why we come back here Sunday after Sunday to be reminded this is who we are. And this is what our calling is. To live the way of discipleship. And when you do that, you come to know the truth. You know it for yourself. It is as experiential 
flesh and bones lived out as it is cognitive. So, you know, you all know this. I don't have to tell you. But we live in a world that is more and more suspicious and less and less trusting. It's called the internet. And therefore, the world demands more and more truth. But the only way to do that is to have more and more facts and more and more evidence. And so you need bigger and bigger filing cabinets full of that fact and documentation. Right? And the internet is the world's largest filing cabinet full of these things. Uh, The only problem is anybody can put evidence in there without having an editor say, are you sure that was right? So it's not like only verifiable facts are in that cabinet. And so while we're demanding more and more truth, it's harder and harder to sift through all that information, right? It's harder and harder to know what's real, what is factual, what is actual, which brings us to this postmodern moment of saying, is there any such thing as truth? Which is exactly what Pilate said to Jesus. Maybe he didn't know it at the time, but Pilate was really good postmodernist that way. Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus just kind of ignores what he says, what he asks. And he says, I've come to tell the truth. And Pilate's response to that, what is truth? And Pilate, being the good postmodernist that he was, uh, realized that empires make their own truth. Right? You tell the story, you control the narrative, you decide what is truth. But rather than answering the question that Pilate asks, are you a king? Jesus answered the question he thinks Pilate should have been asking. And when Jesus says, I have come to tell the truth, what he's saying is the Lord spoke and creation came into being. And now the Lord is speaking again through me and new creation is coming into being. Remember, he said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be land and there was land. Let there be life and there was life. Well, Christ is God's word, right? The word made flesh. And so when the word of God speaks, truth comes into being. New creation, the way that the world is supposed to be. His word is what creation is supposed to look like. And we all want truth. We don't want to be surrounded. I don't know. I don't like liars. I actually, I hate when I find out that somebody's been deceiving me. I can't stand that feeling. I think it's part of being a human being that we don't want to live in a hall of mirrors, right? We don't want to be distorted. But the trouble is we live in a world of post-truth. We live in a world of fake news and deep fake videos. And that subjectivism is like, well, you have your truth and I have mine. And we live in a world of Orwellian doublespeak. And so it's really hard to tell what's true and what's not. But we need truth. We were made to tell the truth. So don't believe anybody who goes out there and says, well, I mean, they're just little lies. I mean, everybody does it. That's how you get by in business. You know, you got to pit people up against one another. And if you got to shade the truth a little bit, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really telling a lie. It's like, no, that's not what it is to be a human being. That's listening to another father. 
And so we want the truth and find ourselves asking Pilate's question, is there any such thing as truth? And if there is, why is it so stinking hard to get to? Why is it so hard to come by? The, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, his name is N.T. Wright, he talks about our desire for truth as a signpost of being made in God's image. He says, seeking truth is part of what it means to be human, right? We want to create a world that is truthful and to be truthful to ourselves. And truth is an integral part of being a flourishing human being. But he says that signpost has been broken, like so much in this world has been broken. We want truth, but we're kind of clueless about how to get it on our own which is why we need to keep circling back around to what Jesus said. If you hold to my teachings, if you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I want to kind of lift up one last thing here. Uh, I think truth resists simplicity. Truth resists simplicity. And there is a reason why so many books have been written about Jesus, because the truth is complicated. And at times, the truth can even be mysterious. I have learned that part of the way that the human brain works, like one of our biases that's kind of baked into our neurology, is that we prefer a simple falsehood to a complicated truth. I'm going to say that again. We as human beings will prefer a simple falsehood to a complicated truth, which is a really scary reality that we all need to be aware of. This is why conspiracy theories are so prevalent, because it simply explains all these things that we don't like that are happening in the world that are super complicated and we don't know why. Just give me a simple reason here. Give me an answer as to why. Well, guess what? Life's a lot more complicated than that. It's a whole lot more gray than it is black and white. Truth resists simplicity. Now, when you are young, your life is simple. Everything is black and it's white, right? But as you grow, as you mature, as you develop, as you age into adulthood, you realize life's actually a lot more gray. Life is actually a lot more complicated. And then we get into the second half of life, and we yearn for that simplicity of youth. And you can find it, and you can find it by two ways. One, you could either just go back to being a child. You can go back to black and white. And you can choose to believe that things really are simple that way. Or you can move forward into what I would consider an enlightened simplicity, where you recognize that the world is gray. You recognize that it's complicated and messy but you don't need to have all the answers. You're okay with mystery. You're okay with paradox. And I don't understand everything, and I'm okay with not understanding. And so that is part of our journey as disciples of Jesus, I think, is to leaning into the complexity of life as we seek truth together. May we seek to follow Jesus, the truth, so that he can set us free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, as your creations, those whom you have made in your image, you have made us for truth, to seek truth, and to be freed 
by it. To be freed to live as your children. To be freed to live as Jesus, who loved and who served. Lord, help us. Help us as we walk this journey, listening to Jesus' teaching, to walking his way, to living it out, to knowing what it looks like to be truly human. Knowing what it looks like to be made in your image. Knowing what it looks like at the core of our being to be set free. And we pray this in the name of the one who has the keys to freedom. Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and all God's children said together. Amen. Well, thank you as always for spending your time with us here at First Presbyterian Church and our podcast. We'll be looking next week at the first part of John chapter 9. And of course, if you're in town on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, we'd love to have you visit with us and experience worship in person. Um, that's There really is no substitute for that. So we're here at 10 at 880 28th Street on Sunday mornings. And if you'd like to experience more of the service, even though you can't be here, you can always go to our YouTube channel and you can check us out there under the live feed. We have all of our worship services. And so you can uh, go there and participate more broadly in the liturgy, get the music, the, uh, the prayers, and participate that way. Well, thank you for spending your time here with us. We so appreciate having you. And if you feel called to help support, to financially support the ministry of our church, which is, that's what it takes. You know, that's how we make this happen. That's how we continue to do the work that we do here and spread the good news that we do. It it takes finances. Um, It takes giving out of our abundance to uh, help spread the good news of Jesus. You can go to our website, www.fpcogden.org, and you can give that way. Well, thank you, and we'll see you here next week.